Well, for the final time, we're heading to the book of Malachi. So have your Bibles open in front of you and we're going to be heading to Malachi chapter 4. What we've been learning so far is that before God gets to a 400 year silence, he has a blunt message for the people. He has seen their sin. He has watched as they have mocked God with mediocre sacrifices and an arrogant questioning attitude, and he's no longer going to put up with it. Yet at the same time, we've also seen a people, a remnant, a small group of individuals who fear the Lord and who seek to be obedient to his calling. And in the journey we have taken, God shows that there is a promised blessing for the faithful and a devastation for the unfaithful. And as we go into this final chapter of the Old Testament, we're going to expand our understanding of what this blessing and what this devastation looks like. And as we do this, what we're going to learn is we too here in 2020 have two options before us. The reward of eternal life found in faith through Jesus or eternal punishment for our sins found in those who would reject Jesus as personal Lord and Saviour. In some ways, Malachi acts as an ultimatum. The conversation is over and it's now time to decide. Are you going to accept the Lord or reject the Lord? Are you going to receive blessing or are you going to receive punishment? And these are the final words of God before a 400 year silence. So it's a wake up call and it's an ultimatum. So we're going to go into these final few words in the Old Testament, starting Malachi chapter 4 and from verse 1. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day is coming, shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so it will leave them neither root nor branch. Now, there are times in the Bible where chapter breaks and, and verse outlines can be unhelpful. And, and really, Malachi 4 is one of those examples. Malachi 4, although a new chapter, is not discussing a new subject. The starting word here is for. It links back to chapter 3 and links back to those points that God was declaring before the people. Remember, chapter 3 highlighted the sins of not only the priests, but the people as well. They were robbing God of what belongs to him and they were arrogantly questioning God. Really, what the people were doing was sinning, believing they were safe from the wrath of God because they genuinely believed they were good people. Chapter 4 continues that look at the people's sin, declaring that there will come a day where the Lord will discern who is wicked and who is righteous. He will divide the people to those who are faithful and unfaithful, blessed and who will receive devastation. Now this day of the Lord that's coming can mean so many different things. Sometimes it can refer to the first coming of Jesus in the early New Testament chapters. Sometimes it can refer to Jesus returning before his thousand year reign, but it can also refer to the judgment day when the age of conflict is conquered and a new eternal age of peace is established. Here in Malachi 4, it's referring to that latter uh, option, that day of judgment, that final day of judgment before the eternal age of peace. It will be like a burning oven with the wrath of God, like a blazing fire, one that will burn up all of the evil and wickedness of this earth. Now, did you notice that it will burn up evil to the point where it will neither have root nor branch? An indication that there's going to be no hope for evil to ever grow again. Evil will be utterly destroyed. It will be a day of darkness, a day of destruction, a day of utter despair, such as the raging fire of God's judgment. 
And it's really interesting, isn't it, that we often forget this other side of God. We talk about the God of love. We talk about the wonderful mercy he's shown us through Jesus. Yet we feel uncomfortable with the wrath of God and his righteous hatred towards sin. And as we've learned in Malachi already, many will be happy in their sin right now. They were happy in their sin in Malachi, will be happy in our sin now. It doesn't feel like you're burning, does it, when you sin now? It doesn't feel like you're being punished when you lie or you cheat. You think as the priest did, you think that your sin is okay and God is fine with it. The fact is though, if you are living in sin, if you are living without Christ, then you're destined for a burning, fiery pit of hell as it states in Isaiah 66, 24, the fire that burns them will not be quenched. The fire of hell will not stop. It is eternal as God is eternal. And so what we have here is probably the side of God we don't like to talk about. His righteous hatred of sin and his justice to punish that sin in this raging fire and eternal punishment. I once heard it said that you can never truly understand the wonder of heaven if you don't understand first the depravity of hell. And if you apply that to verse 1, we can never truly understand the mercy of God if we do not first understand the wrath of God. We sinners deserve this day of the Lord because our sin is an abomination before the Lord. And we deserve to be like stubble, to have every element of our lives utterly destroyed. Yet it is thanks to God's mercy that we do not receive what we ought. And that takes us nicely into verse 2. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for there will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. If verse 1 is the wrath of God, then verse 2 and 3 show the mercy of God. For the remnant of Israel and Judah, by which I mean that the people who remained faithful to God, well, they will have a very different future, not to fear, but to look forward to. The Lord will bring healing. Where sin has brought devastation, the goodness of the Lord will bring healing. And notice what this healing will be like. will be like calves leaping from their stalls. The sense of joy and freedom as we're released into the green pastures of God's blessings. Brought to the faithful on the day of the Lord. And this is really one of the greatest challenges in the Christian life. When it feels like evil is prevailing. The persecuted church, the evil nations warring, the ignorance of the Lord and then the arrogance to ignore him. It feels like we are in darker days and it's becoming harder to remain true and faithful to the Lord. Yet on this day, this future promised day, evil will not prevail. Evil will be destroyed. It will be burned up and all that will remain is the ashes underfoot. And the goodness of the Lord will raise up his faithful people who will prevail and find victory on that day of the Lord because evil has been crushed and goodness will reign. The people who are faithful will then trample on the ashes that remain from evil that has been destroyed. This is a good day for the faithful people of the Lord and it is an utterly devastating day for the people who are unfaithful towards him. Verse 4. Remember the law of the servant Moses, the statutes and the rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Here once again, we once again see the mercy of God. 
The Lord has patiently reminded the people to remember or obey the law of Moses. God is giving them yet another chance for the unfaithful to find a way out of punishment, out of devastation, and that way is obedience to the Lord. However, more than this, the Lord is graciously showing the way for the faithful to have assurance. Keep my commands and therefore find yourself enjoying victory found on that day of the Lord. Obedience leads to blessing. Disobedience leads to devastation. And this will be crucial to hold on to, for the Lord is about to be silent for a very long time. It's going to seem like it's futile to serve the Lord. It's going to seem like evil will reign. Yet the reminder is clear, hold fast to my word, for through obedience and faith in me, you will have assurance of your salvation, and more of that, you will be guaranteed your salvation on the day of the Lord. Verse 5. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and the hearts of their children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Do you notice here in verse 4 we have reference to Moses and the law, and in verse 5 we have reference to Elijah and the prophets. Why is this significant? Well, think about the transfiguration of Jesus. Both Moses and Elijah stood side by side with Jesus. The law and the prophets and the Son of God showing God's salvation plan. We also know in Revelation 11 that the Lord will usher in the age of peace with two significant people by his side. Moses, who represents the law, and then Elijah, who represents the prophets. In these couple of verses, what we see is some really key elements, and we really need to see these in these couple of verses. Firstly, God has planned everything out. He planned out the ending. He knows how it's going to happen. He knows who's going to feature, and he knows the certain moment that this day of the Lord is going to come. And this should provide us both with comfort and with fear. Comfort knowing that indeed we're going to have victory because the Lord has promised it, and fear knowing that the Lord will indeed burn up all evil. And we may, may right now, be sitting on the wrong side of this punishment or blessing. Secondly, though, we have the long prophets and all of God's word pointing to Jesus, pointing to the Heavenly Father. The book of Malachi didn't have the ultimate aim of pointing to the people or to the priests or to the time of year. The ultimate aim was to point to the Lord because that is where you find salvation. And that is really important when it comes to evangelism, that we're not pointing to sin. We're not pointing to the world. We're not pointing to our opinion. We're pointing to Jesus because Jesus is the one that saves us. But thirdly, and I think most crucial, is that the Old Testament ends with a curse. Did you see that in verse six? The law, the prophets, Jesus himself is one big salvation plan. If ignored, the Lord will bring utter destruction. What comes next is 400 years of silence. The Lord has spoken. Be blessed by being faithful. Face punishment and destruction by ignoring my word. That's it. The Lord has spoken. There is no more to give. Is that not incredible? As Jesus arrives 400 years later, the last word spoken was, the world will be cursed because of their ignorance. As John the Baptist ushers in the saviour of the world, the last words of God's were, be blessed or be destroyed. Choose whom you will serve. 
You see this magnitude when we come to the ending of the New Testament, Revelation 22, 21. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. The Old Testament ends with a curse of destruction. The New Testament ends with the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Wonderful blessing for those who find salvation in Jesus. Horrendous destruction for those who dare ignore God's salvation plan. Well, that's the end of Malachi. Four chapters, four horrendous chapters, really, when we look at it. God showing his punishment and judgment to the people. Yet how do we apply this to our lives this week? Specifically this year, November 2020, how do we apply all of Malachi to our lives? Well, here's a few things for you to consider. First of all, rid yourself of sin. Rid yourself of sin. I think what is clear in the whole book of Malachi is that God has a hatred towards sin. Sin not only gets in the way of our relationship with God, but it's truly an abomination to the Creator God. For He made us good, He made us perfect, yet sin destroyed creation, has tarnished it till the very end of the age. That is why God is so severe in His language in Malachi. He hates sin. Now our response to that should not be one of hiding in fear. For we're told in Malachi 4, if we are the faithful, then we will be blessed. So our response shouldn't be hiding in fear, rather a focused faithfulness to please the Lord rather than to anger the Lord in our sin. At 1 Thessalonians 4.1 Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk in to please God just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. We are to all the more walk in such a way that pleases the Lord. How do we do that? Psalm 119 verse 11. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Do you see, that is the answer, the same answer of Malachi 4. We're to go to God's word. We're to be obedient to it. And so as we're being obedient to the Lord, we're then led away from sinning against the Lord. We do this not as uh, oppression under an autocratic leader, rather as devoted followers of Jesus. We show our loyalty and our love for him in our obedience. The Bible says to love our neighbour. The Bible says to be joyous, not grumpy. The Bible says to not swear and take the Lord's name in vain. The Bible says we're to live at peace with one another. The Bible says that we're to honour God and not man, and therefore we do it because the Bible, because the word of the Lord is to do it. And as we do this, as we are obedient to the words of God, we avoid sin, and as we avoid sin, we please the Lord. So let's apply this, let's get real practical. What is it in your life that doesn't match up with what God says in his word? What do you need to rid yourself of from this week? What is in your life that you arrogantly think that God doesn't hate when his word in fact declares it is an abomination to the Lord? We must rid ourselves of the things that would go against God. Not tomorrow, not next week, not when you're ready, but today, right now, making a commitment to serve the Lord with your life, we must rid ourselves of sin. The second thing to consider is that we, we find salvation in Jesus. We find salvation in Jesus. All the way through Malachi, we see the mercy of God, the call to repent, the patience in dealing with the people, the reminder to keep his word. God isn't shy here. He's telling us how we might be saved. 
And it's no different now. God has a salvation plan and in his mercy, he offers it to you and he declares it to you. Acts 4.12 And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Through Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, we can be saved from sin. We can be saved from the utter devastation and destruction that is promised the evildoers in Malachi 4. We can be saved from the, the torment of being separated from our creator God. We can be saved from the wrath of God. Yet there is only one way to be saved. There is only one person who can save. And it's only by one name that we might find salvation. And that is Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the holy anointed one of God. Remember, God is silent for 400 years. And then what happens? Well, I'll tell you what happens. God in his mercy sends Jesus as means of salvation for the people. And so I want to encourage you today to not only just rid yourself of the sin that God hates, but to find Jesus, to know salvation through him that will lead to the jumping for joy, the leaping like calves out of a stall. For you are saved, set free, redeemed, forgiven in Jesus. Third and finally, we are to focus on the prize, focus on the prize. As we wrap up our series in Malachi, we must focus on the prize set before us. God doesn't promise these people will be taken right then and there. Rather, he gives them hope of a future day. Now, hope is the same hope we look to. We don't look to earthly comforts. We don't look to earthly rewards. We look to the eternal promise of God that on the day of the Lord, we will be in glory with Jesus. No more sin, no more death, no more evil, simply eternity with our creator God, eternity to sing and rejoice in his name. Philippians 3.12, not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That is what Malachi boils down to, the faithfully seeking after the prize that is promised and assured in Christ Jesus. Friends, in COVID times in 2020, we are to strain forwards. We're not looking for normal. We're not looking for new normal. We are looking for the eternal reward found in Christ Jesus. We're to look to that eternal reward. We're to live for that eternal reward. We're to live by that eternal reward. And we're to be assured in our salvation in Jesus Christ. And this is the ultimatum, folks. This is what it boils down to. This is what this four-part series, four-chapter book in Malachi boils down to. This is what the last words of the Old Testament before 400 years of silence boils down to. This is the ultimatum. Choose Christ and blessing with eternal assurance. Ignore Christ and face devastation and destruction. That is the ultimatum set before you today. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your words. As always, it is challenging, it is convicting, but it's encouraging, encouraging to the faithful to keep going, to keep straining forwards, to hope for that eternal reward, that eternal prize that we find in Christ Jesus. Father, spur us on, help us as we walk our daily lives being faithful and obedient to King Jesus. And Father, for those who are destined for 
devastation and destruction, help us reach them. Help us take the gospel to them. Help us point them to Jesus and the Heavenly Father. Help us point them to a new life, a new hope, one that isn't tarnished by sin and death. And Father, we pray that there would be many added to your kingdom as we reach out for the sake of Christ Jesus. We pray this in your glorious name. Amen.